Concord Matters is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ's church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org slash SAS. That's kfuo.org slash SAS. that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His inerrant Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed Christ in Matthew 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's Word, nothing more, nothing less, all for the sake of having a clear conscience in Christ for all who believe, teach, and confess as we do, and those who hear. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We continue our study of the Augsburg Confession with Article 21, Worship of the Saints. You see, this is always a a fun part of the confessions, is because one of the main distinctions that people will make is, well, I was Catholic, now I'm Lutheran, therefore I don't worship the saints anymore. Okay, well, what does that mean? Because... One of my favorite Sundays is All Saints Sunday. I mean, it's a beautiful day. We look at Revelation. We look at the saints with their their white robes and washed by the blood of the Lamb, all surrounding the Lamb of God. So we don't deny saints. What does it mean that we believe that there are saints and how do we commemorate them? How do we honor them? At the same time, not have an incorrect view of who a saint is. It was an issue in those days, and I would argue it's still an issue today. So let's get back to the basics. Open up your Book of Concord, open up your Bible, more importantly, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome back Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio. Pastor Meyer, welcome back to Concord Med. It's good to be with you. Well, Pastor, let's let's get into yeah. this worship of the saints. Um, you know, it's one of those big questions that people have of, well, how do Lutherans really see the saints? But the irony is this. I'm, I'm going to start this way. You drive through Minnesota and you're driving through the typical small town and you have a Lutheran church. What's the same Missouri Center for the sake of argument? And what's the name of that church? St. John's. Yeah, <laughs> almost every one of them is called St. John's and you have St. Mark's and, you know, St. Peter and all these names. And sometimes we're, but people, Lutherans, would be like, oh, we don't believe we don't we don't we don't believe that about the saints. Pastor, what, what are your observations as we begin this study? Yeah, I think sometimes we're caught in between. We get we got two dishes here where on the one hand, you've got you go to the extreme where we see with the, the Roman Catholic Church of. Uh, invoking saints, you know, praying to or through saints and giving them an elevation beyond what God's word would have. Uh, And on the other hand, you have the extreme of 
well, we shouldn't even talk about saints. We should not focus on them in any way, shape, or form because it could be problematic. We don't want to be like the Roman Catholics. Um, and so we end up not quite knowing what to do in regards to saints. And so then you have, you know, I've, I've served St. Paul Lutheran Church for quite a number of years. Well, why would we name the church after one of the saints? Shouldn't all of the churches be named after God or an attribute of God or something like that? Uh, and so we got to figure out, well, what do we do with the idea of saints? And it's a good distinction, like you're saying, is is it wrong to be called, like, right right now I'm sitting at St. Paul Lutheran High School, uh, where my daughter goes to high school um, recording, and so you drive in and it says St. Paul Lutheran High School. So we're not against this, but here, here's a funny one, and this is uh, kind of interesting, is that we can look at it a little bit um, inconsistently, because there is literally a church in our in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, called St. Paul. Yeah, yeah. And so how do you, how, how does that all work? We'll cover that today. I don't want to rail on any individual church or something, but it is just good for us to make sure we define our terms correctly. So let's dig in here. Are you ready? Let's Pastor? go. All right. We are reading from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House. We're beginning on page 44, article 21, worship of the saints, and we'll begin with the note. The early church had developed an appreciation for those who confessed and sometimes died for their faith. However, deep corruption had developed within the church regarding the the honor given to the saints, resulting in what could only be described as idolatrous worship. Those who have gone before us in the faith are to be honored, remembered, and imitated according to our various stations and callings in life. This is clear. However, it is clearly contrary to Scripture to teach that the saints are to be prayed to and invoked for aid. There is simply no command, no example, and no promises, promise in Scripture indicating that we should pray to our departed brothers and sisters in Christ. And Pastor, let's continue to the first part. Our churches teach that the history of the saints may be set before us so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works according to our callings. For example, the emperor may follow the example of David, 2 Samuel, in making war to drive away the Turk from his country, for both are kings. But scriptures do not teach that we are to call on the saints or ask the saints for help. Scripture sets before us the one Christ as the mediator, atoning sacrifice, high priest and intercessor, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He is to be prayed to. He has promised that he will hear our prayer, John 14. This is the worship that he approves above all other worship that he may be called upon in all afflictions. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, from 1 John chapter 2. Pastor, there's quite a bit here uh, as far as vocation, mm-hmm. um, the question of praying to saints, and the question of how do we follow the example of the saints? Where do you want to start? Well, I think the article itself is summarized quite nicely with that first line of the article itself. Our churches teach that the history of saints may be set before us, so that we may follow the example of their faith and good works according to our calling. So uh, we have these examples of what it looks like to live by faith. And, And I think we need to start, too, with defining what is a saint. And a saint is quite simply one who has been made holy by the blood of Jesus. A saint is not a saint because of what they have done, but what Christ has done for them. Now, 
then we have examples of those who have lived by faith and have set a wonderful example for us to imitate and follow. And those are ones to be upheld as examples for us to imitate. You know, St. Paul himself talks about that. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Uh, So if we are to learn how it is that we are to live, you know, what does it look like to live by faith? It helps to have those examples, doesn't it? You know, if you're in the if you're in the parish, mm. it, well, growing up as a little kid in the parish, you look around and and how what does it look like to live mm. as a mature Christian? Well, you got these examples around you that you can learn from and begin to imitate. Uh, and now, as we look at this article, we see not just within our local congregation, but the whole history of the Christian church gives us wonderful examples of living by faith uh, that we can learn from and imitate uh, and especially apply within our own given vocations. Uh, So I think that that first line there really says a lot for us. It is a good reminder for us as we hear Paul addresses the, the church in Ephesus in Colossae. Um, that he starts by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, this is Ephesians chapter 1, is that he is very clear that there are saints um, right here among mm-hmm. us. And pastor, you're, you're, a, you're a pastor's kid. I'm a pastor's kid. I am, I am every year, I am learning more and more about the glory, uh, the, the, the joy that there was of seeing the saints and the, the, the people who witness that faith to me growing up. Can you kind of expound on that a little bit? Maybe some of your observation of the saints who came before us, or maybe they're still with us, but that you remember growing up and how they witnessed the faith to you? Yeah, this uh, got me thinking about a little bit of that. This article got me thinking about some of those examples that I had growing up. You know, growing up as a pastor's kid, of course, you, you've you got your dad, right? But mm-hmm. it's helpful to have more than just that. And so I, I think about some of the, uh, some of the guys that, you know, I thought of as old men, I don't know how old they really were at the time, but as a little kid, they were all old men. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's good. and that's good. you know, uh, guys like, uh, like, uh, Marion Fiddler and, uh, Reuben Schultz, these, these old fellows that would go out of their way to talk to me at church and, who went, they were, they were servants of the church. They were constantly doing things that needed to get done. And, you know, so here, when I got to uh, seventh grade and uh, I had started to sing with the, the church choir and my older siblings all went off to college, I didn't have a ride. And here comes one of the, one of the old guys saying, well, okay, I'm going to take you with me. And then as we're driving, we're having this conversation about life. And so, you know, you have these different people in the church that may or may not even realize that you're watching them and you're learning what does it look like to be a mature Christian, a mature man of God or woman of God. And they're helping you to understand that. And it's an amazing thing because you look back and 
like you mentioned so well, a saint is one who's made holy by the blood of the Lamb. And what do they do? Uh, not only are they ones who come speak to you in church, but I think about this quite a bit. Is I remember going to church early with Dad. Oh, man, you had to go early. And and there was always these, these number of mm-hmm. ladies who would be in the front praying when you walked in there like a half an hour early, 45 minutes early. And you think about, like you mentioned, the men who were the elders of the yeah. church and the Sunday school teachers that I had yeah. and, and all these various people. And one of the main things I remember about these individuals was they were just ardent hearers of Scripture, hearers of the Word. Like, they were there receiving the sacrament. Even, I see this in the church I served in, Messiah and Sartell, that these individuals would do everything they could to come forward to receive the body and blood of Christ. And what a witness they are to us. And appropriately for us to look at that and go, yeah, I'm going to follow their example in the Mm -hmm. faith. And this is something we do not deny as Lutherans. And because why are they saints? Because they believe in Christ. What do believers do? Go hear the words of Christ. And the Lord formed them to live out that life in their vocations every day. So um, I, those are some great examples for us to consider. Pastor, what else do you want to highlight well, in this perspective? So the, uh, the saints are wonderful, uh, and they are great examples for us, but they are not our mediators, right? So a, a mediator, and a go-between is somebody that can, uh, you know, advocate on our behalf. Well, we don't have uh, all of these saints as our mediators because we have Christ himself as our mediator, as our atoning sacrifice, as our high priest, as our intercessor. And so we know that when we pray, we don't need to pray through a saint. We don't need to call upon a saint and, and, and hope that that saint relays the message to God on our behalf. Uh, we go through our great high priest, Christ himself, who has promised that when we call upon him, he hears our prayers and he ensures that they are brought before the throne of God. And what are the tendencies what was the problem in those days? And maybe how, how does it relate to today? Because clearly the issue was not that they commemorated and honored the saints of old. That's what we do. You mm-hmm. know, we see that in Scripture all over the place. So what was the main issue? Yeah, the main issue was they were putting saints in the place of Christ. Uh, they were praying with the idea that these saints would be their intercessors. Well, Christ himself is our intercessor. Uh, they were They were praying with the idea that the saints would be mediators. Well, Christ himself is our mediator. So when you put a saint in the place of Christ, you're actually robbing Christ of his glory. And you are putting your faith in something other than that which God has said to do. And so uh, there is that temptation to think, uh, well, here's this really godly person they surely have God's ear more than I would. Uh, and, and I've experienced this. Maybe you've experienced this too. Uh, I used to work construction uh, one of the summers after uh, in high school. And, you know, you're working with some, some very rough individuals at times. Uh, and one, I can remember one day, it looked like it was going to storm. And everybody kind of wanted it to storm so we could get sent home early that day. And some of the guys are saying, hey, you need to pray. You need to pray and ask God to to send rain because he's going to listen to you more than he's going to listen to me. And I think that's that same idea that, uh, well, God's going to listen to this this saint 
more than he would listen to me. So I'm going to go go and talk to the saint and then they'll talk to God on my behalf. Well, no. <laughs> uh, what, what does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father, right? Go directly to your heavenly Father. Jesus himself, as our great high priest, ensures that that prayer is heard and your God who loves you is going to hear and answer in the way that's best. It is, it is, it is fascinating to see how there's little snippets of this, even for a good Lutheran, that they will say something along those lines. Pastor, can you pray for this because you have a higher standard, even if it's a yeah. joke? Yeah, it's sometimes said <laughs> kind of with that joking, right? Like, oh, right. yeah, well, you know, God's God's going to hear you. Well, yeah, he's going to hear you too. And and I think even when it's said in jest, it's a it's a good time to maybe jest back and say, you know, something uh, to affirm them in their own prayer life because uh, it's just not it's simply not the case. And it's it's interesting too to to look at being living sacrifices as we hear about in Romans. Um, when it talks about, as it talked about here in First Timothy two, he says, I mean, First uh, Timothy two verse one, before the section that they highlighted here. First of all, then I urge that supplic- first of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Um, and he and he goes down the whole list of who we should be praying, and he's emphasizing never in scripture is there ever an emphasis about okay, pray to the saint. It always brings us mm-hmm. back to Jesus. Yeah. And, and that's just one of those very, one of the reasons why when we have a prayer, typically we will end with in the name of Jesus, right? right. <laughs> to make that emphasis very, very clear. Um, he hears us, he answers that. And it's so amazing to me how quickly we can kind of fall off on one side or the other. As you mentioned, ditches yeah. as we dig into this. Other insights you have on that? Because we might think, oh, that was then. <laughs> That is not here today, but I think it's still an issue that oh, we Oh, it have. definitely is. It definitely is that uh, there's a, a an idea of hierarchy. And so the pastor ranks way at the top, and so his prayer is going to be more li- likely to be heard. Well, uh, again, this is simply not the case. Um, you know, all of us have access to God. All of us have access uh, to the great high priest, Jesus. And so it doesn't really matter if you're a pastor or if you're uh, a lay person or if you're a child, God has promised that he will hear you for the sake of Christ and he will answer. Uh, and I think also this this kind of goes back to something that I, I harp on with my congregation, um, reminding them of this. Anytime we see an error creep in, it goes back to the foundational things. So you go back to the very beginning of the articles in the Augsburg Confession. It begins with God. Well, you got to have the right God. You got to have the triune God. If you don't have that right, well, we're never going to get anywhere towards the truth. Uh, and then you deal with their article two original sin. What's the big problem, right? Why is there this, this issue that we need to have resolved? Uh, and then you get to the third article, the son of God. Well, you got to know who he's Jesus, what has he done for you? What's his rightful role? And when what, what we see here is his rightful role being taken away, being um, infringed upon. Uh, and so, you know, we when we understand who he is 
and what he's done. And then Article 4, justification by faith, that it is entirely accomplished for all of us by grace through uh, faith and, and, and done for us by Christ, uh, then we can recognize, okay, uh, it's, it's about Jesus. It's not about the works of these saints. It's about Jesus and what he's done for them is what spurred those wonderful works that they may have done. But those are examples for us to learn from. Those are not um, things done so that we can see them as superior to, uh, to us and thinking that they have greater access to God than we do. Uh, no, we, we have the same access because we have the same Savior. It is, it is, it is when Melanchthon and the, and the Concordians were putting the Augsburg Confession together, and obviously all of the Book of Concord, it's very intentional because when you come to worship of the saints, right before it is good works. And what was fascinating last week with Pastor David Jewell was how 90% almost of Article 20 speaks about basically justification by faith through the forgiveness <laughs> of sins in Christ. And it just speaks so much about that to remind where is the source of this work? Where is the source of this mm -hmm. hope? And that's that really, I think, flows into this in a, in a way that is very helpful. Actually, it doesn't even flow. It's like, a, it's like a huge waterfall that just hits you over the head where you're like, it's always starting and ending in Christ and the flow of the, the Holy Spirit working in people's life by his word is what leads people to be the saints and, and the work that they do. So don't ever lose track of that. And, and I, I am so humbled because so many times in my life, there's times where you kind of looked at people and say, well, that's not very exciting. You know, the, the vocational life mm -hmm. is, is really not particularly exciting. So this is why we can have a tendency to look, oh, that person has done extraordinary works and say they are a saint. And we forget about the solid foundation of all these individuals that we grew up with or that we currently serve. And for them, they're a saint and they're fulfilling all these vocations. They're just, it's just not as uh, exciting as many others. And so the, the focus they're talking about a lot here is vocation. Yeah. Can you speak to us a little bit about that and the vocational callings and how they're highlighted? Yeah, I think, I think uh, this does a marvelous job of referencing, you know, for example, the emperor may follow the example of David in making war to drive away the Turk from his country, for both are kings. So within scripture, we have wonderful examples that show us within our God-given vocations um, how we can carry those things out well. Uh, so for instance, uh, the Lutheran Hour, I think they, they had a, a video series or a video study on Joseph as uh, a father. You know, here's this man of God who takes on the role of being the father of Jesus, even though, uh, you know, in, in actual terms, he, he was not, but he fulfills that vocation faithfully and well. You know, you look at, at Mary, Mary shows us uh, what it is to be a mother, how uh, we might think about things in, in those terms. Uh, you, you get David. Okay, here's a king. All right, we don't have kings in our American context, but we do have people who are in positions of authority, positions of you know being, being rulers. Okay, we can learn from somebody like David what uh, it might look like, things that we should do, uh, and some things that we shouldn't do as well. 
uh, you know, and, and I think that's one of the wonderful things in scripture. And one of the wonderful things that we always want to keep in mind when we're thinking about the saints is uh, scripture never hides the flaws. You know, you don't, you don't have whitewashed saints. David, we know about all of the things that he did that were not so good. In fact, they were bad. They were evil. They were wicked. They were sinful and for which he needed forgiveness. Uh, we know about Abraham and his living by faith. Fantastic. We also know how he tried to pass off uh, his wife as his sister because uh, it was more convenient for him. And um, he thought he could, uh, you know, escape by that way. Uh, you know, you think about Noah building the ark, wonderful, living by faith, doing what God commanded. But then, you know, after the ark landed, well, he plants a vineyard, gets drunk and, and uh, you know, ends up laying there uh, naked. Well, this is not saintly behavior, is it? And yet <laughs> he is a saint because he is uh, covered by the blood of Jesus. And so uh, we have real live examples of what it looks like to live by faith, but we also don't whitewash some of the things that are, are realities. Now I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, Worship of the Saints, and we'll be right back. Military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors. Careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the Word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors. A sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. Welcome back. We are studying Worship of the Saints from the Aug from Augsburg Confession, Article 21, with Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio. Now, Pastor, let's dig into the next section. We are in uh, the, the, excuse me, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord. On page 44, we went through the first portion. Now it gets to a summary statement. And this is important for you, our listeners, is that whenever you read the Augsburg, the, uh, the Book of Concord, there's always a historical context to it. But also you'll notice kind of a theme where they will confess it and then they will make sure that you get it right by confessing it almost over again at different times. This is why when we get to the apology, I'm really looking forward to this, um, because they make sure it's crystal clear by repeating themselves over and over again. So that's kind of what's happening here in the Augsburg Confession. A summary statement on page 44, we go to uh, uh, the Augsburg Confession. This then is nearly a complete summary of our teaching, as can be seen. There's nothing that varies from scriptures or from the church universal or from the church of Rome as known from its writers. Since this is the case, those who insist that our teachers are to be regarded as heretics are judging harshly. There is, however, disagreement on certain abuses that have crept into the church without rightful authority. Even here, if there are some differences, the bishops should bear with us patiently because of the confession we have just reviewed. 
Even the church's canon law is not so severe that it demands the same rights everywhere. Nor, for, the mad, for that matter, have the rights of all churches ever been the same. Although in large print, the ancient rites are diligently observed among us. It is a false and hate-filled charge that our churches have abolished all ceremonies instituted in ancient times, but the abuses connected with the ordinary rites have been a common source of complaint. They have been corrected to some extent, since they could not be approved with a good conscience. Now, Pastor, this is just kind of a very interesting uh, connection to the worship of the saints, a summary statement really of almost everything to this point in the confession. So I think it fits nicely, but also can be a little clunky. Where do you, how, how do you want to continue? Well, I, I uh, kind of laughed a little bit with that first sentence there. You know, this then is nearly a complete summary of our teaching, right? And then it goes on with two full more paragraphs. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think that first paragraph really is pretty much a complete summary, you know, nearly a complete summary of our teaching because the reality is, uh, one of the beauties of Lutheran theology is it's pretty simple. You know, we just, we believe what scripture says. It's not ultra complicated. Uh, people sometimes try to make it more complicated, but the reality is it's, it's pretty straightforward. And, you know, the, the idea of what a saint is and, and how we can learn from them, it, you know, it's summarized in that very first sentence of the, of the article. Uh, so, you know, I think that was, it's, it's, it's very true what they're saying there. Uh, but then they go on, uh, you know, Melanchthon here is, is addressing some of the abuses. And we talked a little bit about that before that there had be, be there became this idea of, of a saint for this thing or that thing, and that you would invoke the saints and then the saints would talk to the Lord on your behalf um, and this is contrary to scripture, uh, but it also is untrue that Lutherans came along and just said, we're going to throw everything out and we're going to start from scratch. Uh, the Lutheran Reformation in no way, shape or form intended to start from scratch. The Lutheran Reformation was about getting rid of that, which is contrary to scripture and keeping everything else. So we had these saints days that already were established and the Lutherans didn't come along and say, well, forget that. Uh, that's not something that we're, we're going to do. Uh, but rather they came along, they said, okay, cool. We got these saints days. That's, that's really neat. We have an opportunity to remember these different individuals who live by faith, learn from their example and in our own lives, be able to follow in their footsteps. And the glory in those things goes to Jesus because the, the saints, if, if, you know, properly taught, properly remembered, properly, uh, um, uh, celebrated saints point us to Jesus. They show us how Jesus was at work in their lives, how they were saved by grace through faith and how they then lived by faith. Uh, so in our, in our hymnals, and actually in, in Lutheran study Bible as well, you know, at the, at the beginning of the Lutheran study Bible on, uh, uh Roman numeral, um, 57, you have different feasts and festivals and you have the, the lectionary for those feasts and festivals. 
in the hymnal, uh, Lutheran service book on uh, Roman numeral 10 and Roman numeral 11, you have the, the church year and the feasts and festivals. And then on uh, Roman numeral 12, these different commemorations. So we have different people that we have throughout the, the year that we can remember the witness that they give. We can look at their lives and maybe examine them and say, okay, uh, how do they remind us what it looks like to live by faith? How do they direct our eyes back to Jesus? It is wonderful, too, because there are a number of books, Worship of the Saints by Will Whedon, that came out Concordia Publishing House, and it's been a great source of devotions for our staff at the district office just to say, hey, today is the commemoration of this uh, person. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the commemoration, for example, of St. Stephen, the day after Christmas. They were able to look at those kind of individuals and say, wow, this is the faith that they lived out. And so you look at the history, you look at what's happened, and it can make, I think, historically, Lutherans a little uncomfortable. <laughs> um, but also, I think, in recent recent history, and I can't speak for anything be before my time, I guess you would say, but it is something that is really a lot, a lot of fun to be able to see this. And for me, it's helped me see my own family more clearly because when you go back to our family history for the Finner's example, the earliest person we have was, I think it was uh, uh, a, a guy, 1810, he was born. And every time you go throughout all the way up to the time of my birth, at least, you had a number of highlights. You had birth, his parents, baptism, where he got baptized, where he confirmed his faith, where he got married, and when he died. And, and all those were following through all those generations. Mm -hmm. And it makes you think about the stories and the people that all the, the, the glorious things that were there. Never, and, you know, they don't have these grand stories about, and then he saved this child from, a, you know, from a falling off a boat or fixing all this or all these great things. It had the simple works of God in their life all the way through. And at the end of the day, that's kind of that's what it is for each one of us. Oh, yeah. So that's, you know, to work, look at the saints. I really do encourage you, our listeners, to uh, uh, look at the list that Pastor Meyer just mentioned. Um, I'm not great with Roman yeah. numerals in 57, so I'm kind of struggling to find this in my <laughs> study Bible as you're saying that. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot it was in here. So um, anyways, but the list is there, and it's a wonderful thing for your own devotional life is to look at those saints and find out more about them on the specific days. Any other thoughts, Pastor? Uh, yeah, I think... Um... This is what Hebrews does for us. Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the saints in heaven and we have the idea of, well, not saints in heaven, but saints uh, who have lived by faith and we get this testimony of faith and you get all of these different names, right? It, it takes you through Abraham living by faith. Uh, but it also mentions some other folks that we may not have thought of, um, you know, uh, some of the different judges and, um, you know, at the end, finally, it says, what more shall I say for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. 
Uh, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So we get this. <laughs> All of these people who have lived by hmm. faith. Uh, and it's a great list, a great example for us of, of living by faith. But then uh, I think sometimes we tend to do with the this idea what we also do with the idea of maybe a, a Christian testimony. Um, you know, some folks have this amazing Christian testimony of how they were down and out. They had been, you know, a drug user and homeless and all of these different terrible things that have happened. And God brought them to faith and changed them and praise God. They're now living by faith and they have uh, righteousness through Christ. And then I look at my life and I go, well, I'm a, I'm a PK. Um, man, the like the most rebellious thing I I did growing up was, I don't know, going halfway across the country to college, to a, to a Concordia, right? Uh, boy, <laughs> I, I sure had a rebellious streak in me. Uh, and, and we look at ourselves and go, well, you know, has God done any great thing in, for me? Uh, and, and the reality is yes, yes, he has, because it's not a competition about who did the worst things before God saved them. We were all, uh, at, going back to article two, we were all dead in sin and needing that salvation. And, and the Lord brought that salvation through Christ. And so you get some examples where it is, you know, the person that becomes a missionary and goes across the world and does these amazing things in these different places. But then you also have the grandmother who raised her children in the faith, who taught Sunday school for years, who serves um, on the altar guild, and who does all of these things behind the scenes, not in order to be noticed, not in order to be credited, but because, well, this is a way of serving the Lord, and she is uh, wanting to do that. She's thankful to God. She's grateful. And now in love, she gets to serve in all of these different ways. And, and she's a great example of living by faith. Uh, but I think we sometimes don't see it because we're looking for the big, grand thing. I encourage you, our listeners, and now I found it in the Lutheran <laughs> Study Bible, the the list. And and I would really encourage you to make this part of your, uh, your devotional life uh, when you get to certain days. For example, November 30th, uh, St. Andrew. And the speaking of him bringing Peter to the Lord. Um, other parts that St. Stephen martyred for his faith. Uh, for us to be able to say, Lord, help me to be strong. That I would get to the point of, of if, if martyrdom happened, that I may say the same words and see Christ. And go down the whole list. And it's quite fascinating. And also, for example, in that book that Will Whedon wrote, it highlights others in the church historically that, that lived out their faith in a beautiful way. And for us as Lutherans, it's okay for us to be able to look at these individuals. It's okay for us to look at it as long as we have uh, the uh, we're keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I remember a pastor during our time at seminary 
we read the book Hammer of mm. God by uh, uh, Pastor Bold Gertz, and he has a lot of nuggets in there. And you have a, a nugget that you found that that is appropriate for our study. Today. Yeah, I, I I love any chance I get to read from from Gertz, and uh, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the parts of the Hammer of God, you have a an older pastor talking to a younger one, and he says. One ought not talk about oneself. It may hide Jesus from view. And I think this is a really helpful way to think about the saints. Um, Not that we should not talk about them, but that we should talk about them with Jesus in view. Not use them in, in such a way that they interfere with or block our view of Jesus, but rather that they direct us to Jesus. So, you know, yeah, you, you're talking about, uh, you know, Andrew. Um, well, what did Andrew do? <laughs> he went and got his brother and he said, hey, you got to see this Jesus guy. Uh, well, what can we learn from Andrew? We don't need to go do some foreign mission in order to confess Christ and um, do the work um, that God has given. We can go talk to our our relative or a a friend or a neighbor and say, hey, you know, I'd love for you to come to church with me. I'll I'll sit with you. I'll be glad to show you the ropes, uh, you know, or come to come to this Bible class that we're having. I'd love for you to hear and to ask some of the questions that I I think you might have. Um, That's an easy thing to be able to do. But we learn of that from somebody like Andrew. Um, you know, and you were talking about some of the different commemorations, I think, uh, that Will Whedon has in his book, right? Uh, and he, he has the saints days, but then you have these different commemorations. And so, you know, within the month of, of November, you know, Johann von Staupitz on November 8th, well, he was the, the one that kept directing Luther to Jesus, uh, Martin Chemnitz, November 9th, <laughs> Good mm-hmm. night. I mean, uh, Chemnitz is fantastic. He, uh, his, his Loki has been just a tremendous asset for me as a pastor. Uh, and he always is constantly pointing back to Jesus. He's always confessing the finished work of Christ. You know, November 11th, Martin of Tours. Well, Martin of Tours, um, is, uh, I, I do believe the the Martin that Martin Luther is named after. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so we get all of these different people that we can look at and go, okay, what what can they tell me about living by faith? You know, how can I look at their life and see how did they how did they struggle through this life, but constantly keep looking to Jesus? Uh, and we can learn from their lives from their example and be blessed by that. So pastor, as we look at the saints of old, we have all saints Mm -hmm. day and this is November 1st that we commemorate into something that's very important, you know, even traditionally among Lutheran congregations, which I think is very fascinating because we act as if we don't have saints or we don't think of saints very much. And then there's been a lot of great piety with All Saints Day. For example, in my own congregation, where two congregations I've served, is that was a big day to remember the people in the church who died in the faith. And so you had a moment at the beginning that you gave thanks for those individuals. In my first congregation, they would ring the mm-hmm. bell 
um, in accordance with uh, each individual. And I've heard a number of different ways that people commemorate this. Do you have any insights on your congregation and the importance of All Saints Day? Yeah, in in some of the congregations that I have served on All Saints Day, when we would get to the prayers, part of the prayers would be remembering those who have died in the faith and ringing uh, ringing the church bell um, as each name is is uh, proclaimed there. Um, and it's it's a way of remembering that individual and that that individual is now with the Lord. Their soul is with the Lord, waiting for the resurrection. So All Saints Day is such an awesome day because it's a day to mourn. And I think there is definitely a place for mourning on that day. Uh, I don't think you can get through singing for all the saints with a, you know, without uh, having a tear shed. Um but it's a day also to rejoice because we, we recognize death is a thief. Death is the enemy. Death has taken away these people from us. And that is terrible. But in Christ, in Christ, we have hope because we know that their souls are with the Lord. We know that resurrection life awaits. And so it's a day where we can grieve and where we can rejoice. It's very much like what happens at a funeral. We grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve as those who have the sure and certain hope of resurrection life because of Jesus. So, Pastor, as we get to the last section, uh, which would be before the both kinds of the sacrament, I want to make sure that we're covering everything with worship of the saints, that it is very tricky. And what would your encouragement be for our listeners when they speak about saints? We, we believe saints are those who are made holy, those who have died in Christ, and we remember them and honor them, but also want to do it in an appropriate mm-hmm. way. What would your kind of, I guess you would say, final encouragement to our listeners as we speak about saints from a biblical perspective? Yeah, I think we want to remember, and I, and I think right now I, I'm especially thinking about maybe loved ones who have died. Uh, and there is this temptation that people have to want to... Um, to talk to them. Uh, and I don't think that that is something that scripture speaks of as being something that's going to happen or as a possibility, but we have, we know that they're with the Lord, right? So here's this person that has died there with Jesus. So now I can still talk to Jesus and I know that they are with Jesus. Uh, and I can go to the Lord's supper. And as I go to the Lord's supper, I'm gathered around the throne of God and Jesus at the center, well, the church triumphant is on the other side, and they are there as well. So now I'm gathered together with those loved ones who have died, and I'm I'm in communion with them because I'm in communion with Christ, and I'm waiting for that day of resurrection. So uh, we, we don't pray to them. We don't invoke them. Um, we, we look to Christ in faith, and we know that because of him, those who have died in the faith are with the Lord, and we will see them when that day of resurrection comes. Well, and may the Lord help us to continue to be faithful as we look to the past with hope and look to the future with hope, especially as you said, death can be a thief. And and that's my encouragement to all of you as you said this, is that it's so important for you um, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I had one example of this in the congregation I served in Sartell where 
it can be very traumatic for someone to lose someone who is very faithful in church. And then that person passes and then they go to church and that person's mm-hmm. not there. Like that's incredibly traumatizing for some individuals. And I think for each one of us, we have to remember the reason why we gather around Christ's gifts. Um, it's not just about the people, even though the people are an important part of that. The purpose is that he fills us with forgiveness, life, and salvation. And 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 we are renewed and strengthened, especially in the mutual conversation, consolation of the brethren and the body of Christ and the mercy that's extended. And one of the conversations I had, because I had a member who just was really struggling coming back. So I called one of our beloved members and I asked her after her husband, her husband died and she was in church the next Sunday. Like it wasn't even a question. She was there. So I call her and I said, Mavis, what, tell me more about this because I, this would be hard for me. I think if my bride were to be gone, it'd be hard for me to go to church. And she said, um, it was so simple. So beautiful. She said, well, where else am I going to go? <laughs> Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. <laughs> yeah. So, so she, and then she, and then she apologized like a good Minnesotan that she's being too <laughs> direct with me. Um, <laughs> so anyways, and to, to you, our guests, just, you know, the, the gifts are ready. And so remember that that's why the saints of old went and that's why we should go and Lord help us and strengthen us to be able to do so faithfully. I think I want to continue because we have about eight minutes left in our time. I want to get to the last section because Article 21 really is a transition mm-hmm. of many ways where they're going from saying, okay, this is what we believe, and basically saying this is where we have in common with the church Catholic, meaning the church from the very beginning. And Melanchthon is very clear about saying we've taken the abuses and made sure that we kept in the right way, especially that of saints that we believe in saints, we believe that the Lord has worked in their lives, and we should commemorate them. And so here, he's given a review of the various abuses and how they've been corrected. So this is the end of our um, our study today, but very important for us to realize, how do we put all this together in the right way and to look at it appropriately? So we continue on page 45, and the title is, A Review of the Various Abuses That Have Been Corrected. He confesses. Our churches do not descend from any article of the faith held by the church Catholic, small c. They only admit some of the newer abuses. They have been erroneously accepted through the corruption of the times, contrary to the intent of canon law. Therefore, we pray of your imperial majesty, would graciously hear what has been changed, and why the people are not compelled to observe those things that are abuses against their conscience. Your imperial majesty should not believe those who have tried to stir up hatred against us by spreading strange lies among the people. They have given rise to this controversy by stirring up the minds of good people. Now they are trying to increase the controversy using the same methods your imperial majesty will undoubtedly find in the form of doctrine and ceremonies among us are not as intolerable as these ungodly and ill-intentioned men claim. Besides, the truth cannot be gathered from common rumors or the attacks of enemies. It can easily be judged that if the churches observe ceremonies correctly, their dignity would not be in, would be maintained, and reverence and piety would increase among the people. Pastor, what is he saying? What is he saying in these last words of this article? <laughs> what he's saying is, we Lutherans don't have anything new to bring to the table. We're, we're simply yeah. teaching mm. what the church has always taught. And where error has crept in, we have sought to remove the error. And uh, apart from that, 
we have not sought to throw anything out. This is uh, what uh, Charles Porterfield Crowth talks about in the Conservative Reformation, his wonderful big mm. book. Um, but he's <laughs> he's talking about the, the Lutheran Reformation as the conservative reformation. We don't just scrap everything and say, we're going back to the Bible on our own. We don't need any help from any of the early church or from uh, church traditions, nothing from them. We're going in, we're going to figure it out ourselves. Um, no, the Lutheran approach was we have a wonderful wisdom that has preceded us. We have these people who have gone before us, who have struggled through things. We can learn a lot from them and we should learn a lot from them. But where error creeps in, we need to go back to scripture and make the correction. And, you know, Melanchthon here is, is also saying, don't believe the rumors that others are spreading about us. Uh, go to what we actually believe say, right? Go back to the actual source. So people say all kinds of things about us Lutherans, but we're going to tell you what we believe. We're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to distort anything. Uh, we're going to be very clear about it as we have here. And this is like I mentioned in the beginning, and you've said over and over today, is we speak where God's word speaks and we're silent where God is silent. Too often we try to add something that, well, that makes sense to me, but that's not what Scripture says. At the same time, we try to um, we try to act as if we have some greater insight than that than those before us. Which is why, as Lutherans, we're very open to be able to, as it does in the Confessions, speak about the early church fathers, mm -hmm. as they when they spoke according to Scripture, then we speak as well. We read them, as you said, about the conservative reformation, that this was actually a very conservative reformation. The goal was not to change everything. The goal was to clean up where the abuses were. And may we do the same today, mm -hmm. because abuses can sneak in at every single moment. Um, one of the great joys that, that we have in the LCMS is that, that we encourage one another that if you don't agree with somebody, go talk to them about yeah. it. If you don't agree with their practice, and we have to be open and ready for that as well, that someone comes to us and says, I think you're maybe not speaking this as clearly as you should. And that's something we need to be able to continuously do, looking back to scripture, looking back to the confessions and saying, this isn't personal. I'm not saying you're a bad person, but I do think that maybe we need to make sure that this is a little more crystal clear. And so he speaks very well because just think about how quickly um, things were getting out of hand where people were looking at the reformers and saying, you've gone too far. You guys are crazy. We see this with throughout Luther's time, and he's constantly having to clarify what he was saying. And throughout the whole time, his concern is truly the gospel and the word of God be at the center of all things. Pastor, two minutes left in our time. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a good reminder for us in the church that when we hear rumors of what somebody's teaching or doing, that we don't just simply believe the rumor but that we we first you know go to check that out and see if that is indeed actually the case and if it is indeed actually the case then it's the the time to talk to that person as a brother or sister in Christ uh, to to you know lovingly go to them rather than uh, let the social media machine become a, a source of venom that really causes damage to the church that was one of the problems they were dealing with in Luther's day was 
They had the portable or movable type printing press. And now this became a weapon by which you could destroy somebody's reputation quite easily and quite quickly. Well, that's nothing compared to what we have now, where we can do the same thing on social media and just viciously attack people. Uh, so we got to be really, really cautious about, okay, if there is something that we see that's not right, I got to make sure, first of all, that it's not right. And then if I, if that is indeed the case, I need to go talk to that person in love, not um, just continuously attack them online. Faster, 30 seconds left in our time. How will you uh, summarize our time together and encourage our listeners in Christ? Yeah, the saints are a blessing. Um, and we can learn a lot from them. We should look back at the, the history of the church and we should learn about these individuals and learn from their witness. And we should seek to walk in the same faith that they professed, that they proclaimed, uh, and that uh, they exemplified by their lives. Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio, clearly confessing the truth of the worship of the saints from the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Meyer, thank you for being our guest. God bless you. Thanks for having me. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finneran. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the Paul.